Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I am Janine Ramsey, a member, a retired member, and former member of WEAC. Your support in any amount helps Labor Radio and all the great pro- programming on WART possible. And hi, I'm Greg Jabosky. Uh, this week we have our annual year-end review of labor news. If you like what we hear, please consider becoming a supporting, sustaining supporter of WRT and Labor Radio. Hi, I'm Frank Emsbach. On this, our last show of the year, we want to recognize the contributions of Ellen La Luzerne, our co-producer and co-founder of Madison Labor Radio, who passed away earlier this year. The current version of Labor Radio began broadcasting in January of 1998. Ellen's four-decade commitment to the labor movement and labor media affected the lives of many in the Madison area and wherever workers struggle for a better life. Ellen's involvement in media dates from her high school days, she believed that people should have a voice in the media, and media was the best way to do it. In the late 70s, she got a radio license. And shortly thereafter, with her sister Susie and Dave Watts, began producing Labor Union Spotlight on WYOU, Community Cable. In 2004, while she was co-producer of Madison Labor Radio and a staff member of WIAC, Ellen became president of Diversified Media Enterprises, the producer of Workers' Independent News. At its peak, Workers' Independent News had uh, was broadcast in almost 150 stations and five days per week. And it was the only nationally syndicated labor news show in the United States. It was the longest-running labor-focused program on ever. Ellen did not just report on what workers were doing. She participated and helped organize those struggles, first in AFSCME, then with WEAC. She was an also an active delegate in the South Central Federation of Labor. Overall, Ellen was driven by the commitment that workers should have their say at work as well as in the media. Her voice may now be silent, but her work will not be forgotten. Here, Ellen produced a segment featuring an interview with the local organizer Kim Basker Raybuck. Kim Gaspar Raybuck. This segment was aired on our October 11, 2022 show a few months after the U.S. Supreme Court Dobbs' decision struck down Roe v. Wade and had since 1973 guaranteed some right for abortion in the United States. The show is still relevant today. What do you see as the biggest impact for working women with regard to the changes in the abortion laws since Dobbs. Government stripped us of our bodily autonomy, so we can't get abortions. So how are we going to go to work and feed our families? The average person who gets an abortion is already a mother. They're in their late 20s. They are generally single and living in poverty because President Clinton ended welfare. We're in desperate need of the right to control our own bodies and uh, bodily autonomy. And so you end up in this situation where you can't afford childcare and you're going to work in a low-wage job. And really the main thing that you need is a union and the opportunity to make more than poverty wages. Do you have statistics about the number of women who actually need and seek abortions? 
one out of four people who is a woman or can become pregnant will need an abortion in their lifetime. Certainly 50% of workers are women, then one out of four union members will need an abortion in their lifetime. How much influence do you think the pressure we're putting on right now will have an impact on restoring rights? We really need to kind of go back and look at our history and think about how abortion was won, right? It was part of a fight for equality. It was part of a fight for access to contraception. You know, you had to be married in order to acquire contraception. So that's sort of where the struggle started for abortion rights. People are starting to fight back. We're starting to see protests around bodily autonomy and abortion. We'll have to become something much bigger, much stronger, much more forceful. Ultimately, we will need mass demonstrations. You know, we'll need huge numbers of people in society participating in this struggle. We've often relied upon electing politicians that will help improve conditions for reproductive rights and for working people in general. What are your thoughts on that? We got parental consent. We got 24 and 48 hour waiting periods. We got, we got, we got with that strategy. And it's really going to have to be that people start looking away from the politicians and looking towards our capacity to organize because it's going to take massive strikes like what they had in Colombia and Poland and Ireland. And this place is going to have to become ungovernable. We're not going to get Mandela Barnes as our senator and then get abortion rights. (laughs) You know, we're really in March calling for all politicians to speak up. Uh, and to invite people to things like the October 8th Women's March protest. The protests that are scheduled for tomorrow are listed as being nationwide. Can you tell us about what's happening here in Madison? To make it more inclusive, we're calling it the Women's and People's Rally. As you know, abortion is completely unavailable and illegal in the state of Wisconsin. So we are gathering at Library Mall for a march up the State Street to the Lady Forward. We will be having a speak out at both ends. So bring your ideas and concerns and stories and share them there. Um, That was Kim Gaspar-Raybuck, who is an organizer and member of March. I'm Ellen Lullazern for Labor Radio. This is a retrospective show for 223 here, and we'll hear from our reporters about their thoughts and uh, what they thought about was most important what we did this year. The first person we're going to hear from is Keith Stemmen. And to continue with the health care theme... We began the year with COVID reports uh, with virtually every show, and that has gone away. But in fact, COVID has not gone away. We're still losing about 1,000 people a week nationally to COVID. Um, But we've also covered several strikes across the country. The New York City nurses strike was a big one, and locally, UW nurses are trying to regain their union rights and are organizing to try to have a say in the workplace. Uh, Meritor nurses signed a new contract and the support staff are working on a, a new contract as we enter 2024. Uh, another big issue was Medicaid expansion and the failure of the Republican legislature to expand Medicaid to accept federal funds that 
literally turned down billions of dollars and resulted in a loss of life in the state of Wisconsin and some other states across the country. Uh, and we've also lost coverage post-pandemic. There was legislation that provided Medicaid, expanded Medicaid coverage, uh, expanded the income limits for Medicaid coverage, and now a lot of people are losing that coverage, and it amounts to millions of people nationwide. So nearly weekly we're covering health care issues and organizing issues in the healthcare field. Janine, do you uh, have some comments about what we did last year? Well, um, we covered so many stories. The ones that stand out for me had to do with um, gerrymandering in our state because it impacts so many issues that all of us care about, including reproductive rights. We heard from Ellen on that. That's an ongoing struggle, environmental concerns, expansion of Medicaid that Keith mentioned, and so many other issues that impact working people. Um, it, along those lines of gerrymandering, we covered, we covered a lot of rallies having to do with gerrymandering and having to do with the election, um, the state Supreme Court election, which was very, very important on the gerrymandering issue in this state. We made sure that people uh, knew about who the candidates were and where they stood, and we talked to people in labor who knew about the candidates and could talk to us on air about that. Greg, Greg Jaboski, please introduce yourself. I'm, I'm Greg Jaboski, um, reporter on, uh, on Labor, Labor Radio. Um, one thing I, on the national stage, and I think it was just big on... Uh, uh, maybe the labor story of the year was the um, UAW's um, negotiations with the big three automakers, um, where all I can say is that everything was was different. Uh, they have a, a new president, Sean Fain, who was literally in for months when the contracts, uh, a few months when the contracts came up, um, and he immediately started changing the way things had been done for, well, certainly my whole lifetime, and I'm not that young, um, where they would normally like target one of the big three automakers and negotiate a contract and expect that the other, con the, the other automakers would follow along. Um, it's tended to produce, uh, might be kind of, you know, considered controversial, but I don't think it really is. That it was, and it just a number of concessionary contracts happened again and again over the last few decades. Um, Fane came in and basically uh, tossed things up, and w in a number of ways. Um, one, one of the things that he did, the one of the things that he did, is that he made a point of directly addressing not only the rank and file, really the world. He would go on Facebook Live uh, every week and um, give a you know, give an update uh, on negotiations. That was something different too. He would actually talk about what was going on in negotiations. Um, and he would, well, he, he sounded different. Just here's an example. Here's an example of a, um, um, a, a, a short segment from one of his um, uh, Facebook Live broadcasts. Um, the days of the UAW and Ford being a team to fight other companies are over. We won't be used in this phony competition. We will always and forever be on the side of working people everywhere. 
non-union auto workers are not the enemy. Those are our future union family. Since the stand-up strike began, we've had thousands of non-union auto workers reaching out wanting to join our movement. So no, we're not going to partner with Ford in a race to the bottom. And I mean, there's just a lot of things that are different just in that segment from what the way things have been done for decades. One is the the, the directly confrontational attitude toward the toward the cor- uh, corporations. I, I think this started with um, uh, the Fain like refusing to have a friendly meeting with uh, with the companies and making a big deal about. This. They said, "No, I'm not. You know, I'm not having." And then he went out and talked to and talked to rank and file workers. Um, the others, you know, he talks about. It, this this he makes a point that this is for the entire working class um and you could, in a way it certainly is this, this is the you know maybe the biggest uh uh industry um you know old, old style uh, construction industry still in the country um and is, if nothing else is a symbol of uh um of, of union strength and power over the decades and um and he's like promised and he's so far fulfilling it to go out and you know organize to increase the base of of the uaw to go to um you know other companies like tesla and the japanese companies that work here are usually without union contracts at this point so this is all very um this is all very different um it feels historic i mean we have to wait a while to just see you know what actually happens how successful this is what his staying power is um, the, the election that he won not that long ago was very, very close. But um, this was, uh, I, I think, uh, a lot of people, and um, Frank uh, had, we had a long discussion with, with Jane Slaughter, Labor Notes on our Thanksgiving show. Um, people go back to that um, in our, uh, either in the WRT archives or on our podcast, uh, uh, which, is, uh, which is available. Um, you know, talked about the significance of this. And uh, it does seem to be very, very significant. As far as um, we're concerned in labor radio, one of the things that Greg did here with the Sean Fain things were usually Friday night, Friday morning, or Thursday night. And so we here in Madison heard this stuff from Sean Fain directly before anybody else. This station had this material on generally before almost anybody else. And I think that's the kind of contribution we're trying to make here in terms of labor radio to bring forth uh, directly from the people, not modified or remediated by something else, but here directly from the people involved. Anyway, now we're going to hear from Carol, who will introduce herself. Hi, I'm Carol, an occasional reporter and occasional producer. Um, I think the most remarkable um, turn of events in uh, labor history is... uh, the Republican push to um, get more children working. And uh, they've wanted to lower the age in Wisconsin that uh, uh, children uh, down as low as age 14 can serve liquor in restaurants and bars. Now, this does not, I don't know, it's not surprising in some ways because Wisconsin is one of the drinkingest states in the nation. at the same time, uh, minor children uh, working in meat processing plants and cleaning equipment 
uh, at a company that's based in Wisconsin, but the, they they deal with uh, meat processing plants across the country. Um, OSHA OSHA stepped in on that one. Um, in July, uh, there was a child killed at at a northern sawmill. Um, I think he was like 16. Um, and then uh, the Department of Labor is coming down on McDonald's in Texas and Louisiana and across the South because of child labor. And I think one of the most uh, uh, dramatic uh, cases, this is not child labor, but just pure disregard for worker safety, is the Didion Milling Company in Wisconsin, uh, which processed corn, uh, didn't didn't clean their their uh, the company adequately. Five workers were killed. Uh, the officials lied and uh, falsified logs of when cleaning occurred. Uh, there's a 1.8 million dollar penalty as a result of that, and uh, and these officials of a billing company uh, were found guilty. And I think we're going to have to wait until um, 2024 to find out what the penalty is for them. But it'll it'll be see well it'll be interesting to see how that falls down on um, the people who make it possible for workers to be dead. <laughs> Joanne, do you want to add anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Joanne has been our engineer now for many, many years, and in spite of her being laconic at this moment, she usually has a lot to say about what we're doing at some point during the show. I'm going to make some general comments uh, before other people um, also respond. I think the most important thing we've done this year is survive and be here again for, as a voice for working people. There are, are no nationally syndicated daily labor news shows on from a union point of view in the United States, period. There are a few shows like this, maybe a dozen, maybe a half a dozen that have been on for some time that broadcast with the perspective of trying to bring forth the actual voices of working people. And I think it's important for our listeners to understand some of the barriers that we face in doing this. The first one is fear at the workplace, almost every person we interview has expressed to us before they have agreed to do this that they're worried about management attacks, management suppression, management censorship, an attack on their job. Many of the union officials have also said the same thing, that they're worried that uh, if they speak honestly about what's happening, the company will take it out by attacking the union or attacking the member who speaks. And so this, this kind of censorship, people don't talk about it in this country. We talk about free media, this, that, and the other thing. The fact of the matter is one reason, and, and people have complained to us about this sometimes, that we are interviewing union officers often or elected officials is because they have the protection of the National Labor Relations Act and can't be fired for speaking. Under the act, you are the equivalent, you are the equal of the management when you're performing union work, including media work. So in theory, you can't be fired. That's not true for other people, somebody in the workplace. And so this notion of censorship is extraordinarily important and it is a block to hearing, uh, I think, the full, full uh, extent of what working people feel here in Madison and in the United States. 
This is compounded by language and other issues of this nature and a 100% censorship on labor news. And I'll just have our listeners think a minute about Marketplace, which is designed to increase stock market prices, originally originally, uh, paid for by General Electric. Well, there's nothing on there that's the equivalent in the United States. Every day, five minutes from a labor point of view on what's important. If you can if you can do the stock market every you know three or four hours, why can't you do the unemployment figures or the job injury figures or anything else that would be of value to working people? And so this is the environment, the media environment that we're in, including in Madison, Wisconsin. And so the net result is that here on WORT, this is the only show of its nature in town. We've been here since, I think, January 1998. And so the gap that we're trying to fill here is to bring forth the voices of working people and people around the table here, Greg and Janine and Keith and Carol, each have areas that they know a lot about and go talk to people. And then those are the stories that we try to bring to you every week. So that's where we're coming from and our perspective for next year is to try to do the same thing and expand it, expand the number of people we're talking to and try to find other ways to bring rank and file, regular working people to the air. And this is our challenge and I hope all of you help support it. And maybe people have something to say here now. Yes. Well, one thing I would like to say is that uh, you know Frank mentioned our um, uh, people who uh, who help us. I got we we do get a number of voices of workers uh, who speak to us, and we got to thank them both for giving us information and showing, as Frank pointed out, you know, courage uh, for going on the air, for going public, and basically the more uh, workers uh, speak out, it's like being a union. More workers speak out. Uh, uh, safer it is, and the and the better it is for winning. Again, thank you very much for um, for all our uh, our sources and, uh, and and worker contributors uh, for this year and and going on. Um, I I think that the 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 good news stories about unions are are continued to build, but I think this the Screen Actors Guild success, I think it helped to have all these faces that we recognize and watch and admire walk on a picket line and the writers uh the writers also prevailed in their strike and and uh the two of them were uh, allied together in that and this is keith stefan uh i am uh, a retired letter carrier and i do the reader scheduling for the program and help with production sometimes and uh i want to continue with Greg's thanking of people and there's some specific organizations that have been very helpful over the year and the years. The South Central Federation of Labor, Boces de la Frontera, uh, Worker Justice Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign, and and many of the individual unions have been very helpful, helpful to us. And uh, some very interesting figures that the AFL-CIO has released is that 71% of Americans said they support unions in 2023. We know that unions are supported, and 80% of young workers under 30 said the same thing. So it's growing. It's a growing support for unionization, for labor organizing. 
And uh, 70% of union members who ran for elected office in the 2023 cycle won. So it's important that we participate in electoral politics and continue the democratic process of increasing unionization in this country. And along those lines, um, we have had very brave people from different organizations um, be willing to talk with us on the um, issues about their workplace and risking their jobs to do it. People at Starbucks, people from um, Meritor, people from the UW nurses, um, people from all kinds of industries. As Frank said, it's it. They risk a lot just talking to us, and you being able to hear their voices is what our goal is, because we hear on the regular media the voices of the corporations and maybe the leaders, but a lot of times we don't hear the opinions of the regular people. Well, the other thing here, as we get to the end of the year, and there's some tremendously moving stories going on is that we have also brought forth to the Madison community the feelings of the labor movement about the recent go- the war in Gaza. And they're one of the only places that do that. So you heard from the UAW, you heard from the United Food and Commercial Workers, you heard from the rank and file and working people actually throughout the country about their feelings about this. And it's that kind of expanding of the news content that we also tried to do so that people have a chance to understand the complexity of the thinking of working people on these issues. Not only the war issues, but issues of taxation and, of course, the election. It's not a slam dunk any place in terms of what people think about. And amongst working people, there is a lot of thinking, a lot of debate, a lot of discussion about how the policies of our government affect people. And we try to bring that forth here and we'll see how we do. This is going to be an election year in 2024. Wisconsin is crucial to this. And uh, we hope to be able to bring the full extent of working people's thinking to the air as we proceed forward here. Anything else? Well, um, I'd like to, we've got a few minutes left. I'd like to say a little bit about the, uh, about the, causes, uh, the situation in Gaza, which was a, um, Actually, a big deal internally in uh, in the labor movement as well. Um, I think when it uh, in October when things first started, there was a, there were a number of rank and file efforts, local unions uh, who were like trying to get resolutions passed, uh, at least calling for a ceasefire. Which, if you get down to it, is kind of a minimal request. And uh, the, the AFL-CIO nationally basically went out and said, you know, don't do that. Um, it was you know a, a direct push against. Uh, Joe Biden, for one thing, um, but since then there's been a um, it, it it hasn't it hasn't stopped. There's been uh, local locally in Wisconsin and nationally, uh, people have been pushing for uh, for a ceasefire resolutions. And now there's been a number of national unions, including the UAW, led by Sean Fain, um, but uh, uh, the, the the American Postal Workers Union. Um, the UE, uh, the Electoral Workers Union, but also recently the uh, the NEA, uh, you know, the biggest teachers, you know, many, how, how many members? Millions. Uh, millions, millions, millions of members um, now calling for a ceasefire. So that is, uh, that, that's that's a big story, not only because it's related to Gaza, but it's related to the, um, uh, how rank and file of, uh, rank and file efforts have have changed things on a on a national level. 
Well, I think we're getting to the end of the show. We'd like to thank all of our participants here. And um, thank you all for your support during the year. And we look forward to speaking with you next year. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. Contributors to this show are Frank Emsbach, myself, Greg Jaboski, Robin G., Sean Hagerup, Anna Hom, Janine Ramsey, Keith Steff, and Carol Riddle, Outreach Coordinator Alice Herman, and Damage Control Specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to all the readers throughout the year and to the members of IBEW Local 2304, the WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Janine Ramsey. We'd also like to thank all of the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts. And a professor. Suicide, too many bills, hippies moving to the hill. People all over the world are shouting in.